Lord, we come before you today recognizing that we couldn't earn it, and we definitely don't deserve it. Yet, you gave yourself for us. So, for that, we say thank you. We thank you, Lord, so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And may this truth impact our lives daily. <clears throat> we surrender ourselves to you now. Lord, open up our ears to hear your word. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with your words. I am communicating a truth that I cannot comprehend, um, that I don't have in me the strength to make it clear. So, Holy Spirit, do the work that I cannot. Pray that you bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, new community. It is always a pleasure to stand uh, before you. I want to, uh, of course, welcome those who are watching online. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for being with us today, and especially for new people who are either here today or watching online. Thank you so much for, yeah. Thank you for joining us. I uh, definitely want to acknowledge Pastor Nicole. Um, she's not with us today. She's actually preaching this morning at New Community Bronzeville. So we, uh, we definitely um, pray that God will use her as always. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing her next week. Before I get started, I do want to share something that is specifically on my heart, um, and it's actually for our youth. I thank God for our, our children, uh, but specifically, uh, the past couple of days I've been thinking about our, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers who mainly hang out in the balcony, and some might be sitting down here. This message is for you. I speak to you um, not only as the, the care minister here, um, and forgive me if I fail to mention that, Tim White, I am the care minister here. So I speak to you not only as the care minister, but as a father, my teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. My desire for you is that you would love Jesus with your entire being. My desire for you is that you would know the depth of his love for you and that you would surrender your life to him. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to you is a legacy of faith, so I pray that God would bless you in this way. I pray that God would guard your minds from the evil, the wickedness of our culture, that you would know the truth of who Christ is. You are not too young to be serious about Jesus. And so I want to declare that to you today. I say this to my children. I say this to all of you. May you know the depth of Christ's love and may you surrender to him fully and grow. So I offer myself, I know you've got your youth leaders and uh, of course you have your parents, but definitely if you have questions about things that we teach here and believe, things that I preach, um, feel free to reach out. You can approach me, you can approach Pastor Nicole, you can approach your uh, youth leaders and I pray that you are having these conversations at home with your parents. So just want to make that available to you but thank you for being with us as always. <clears throat> okay, so as you know, we've been talking about in this series, Check the Source, in the past couple weeks, and 
Uh, I would probably say today is week three, maybe 2.5, but um, uh, so the first couple of weeks we've been, we've been focusing on the source and that is Jesus, right? The, the emphasis is on not just what Jesus does, but who he is, who scripture reveals him to be, who he declares himself to be. We learned in the first week about Jesus from John chapter one being the logos, the word made flesh. He is the one who spoke the worlds into existence, right? He holds everything together by the word of his power. So when he comes on the scene, that is what is revealed about him. Uh, we learned last week uh, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the source being the identity of Christ. We're, we're looking at who he is, his character, his truth, what he does. It's, it's bigger than just being a nice guy, uh, a great teacher, but he truly is God in flesh. And so we're going to continue with that theme, and I'm going to uh, be reading from Luke chapter 17, a story that I'm sure you all have read and uh, come across. Okay. Starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, I'm sorry if my mic is a little hot, I don't, I don't know, but you can, you can adjust. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. So I struggled to come up with a, a bit of a title, but uh, we're going to uh, at least work with this theme of a posture of praise. A posture of praise. Now, one thing I want to note uh, for everyone listening here, that we don't just want to read passages and glaze over details. Sometimes we need to dig a little bit because there are details that might seem small that we can skip over that actually are very important. And as you know me, I like to give background because these are just important issues. And this is where I mentioned I become a little bit of a geek because I just get excited when Scripture starts talking to Scripture and it starts revealing um, uh, these deeper truths. Like I just get, I get lost in it. So I, I love it. So I will definitely try to maintain my composure while preaching to you today. But we start with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Of course, Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, clearly, if you hear anything about Samaria, if you heard that term, um, it's not a small issue. I mean, there were clearly tensions between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. 
Jews looked down on them. They ostracized them. They hated them. So anytime Samaria comes up, it's like, and you see what Jesus is doing, there's some level of importance to that, right? And if you, just to get a picture, um, you had Galilee, which was north, you had Samaria in the middle, and then the, land, the, the region of Judea, where Jerusalem was, was to the south. So Samaria is in the middle, so you would go through Samaria, although, now I don't know how often or how many uh, Jews perhaps tended to go around Samaria, they didn't like going through Samaria, clearly some did, but uh, perhaps most, you know, tried to avoid it because that's how they felt, right? So I just want you to understand the region. There's Galilee, Samaria, then there's the land Judea, okay? So Jesus is heading south. He's on his way, and he's on the border between Galilee and Samaria. And of course, he's coming to a village, and then 10 men who had leprosy. You know, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a, it's a skin disease, right? And I think during that time, it was very in, incurable. And, and sometimes this word lepros, that, that's actually the Greek, could also be a catch-all phrase for different skin diseases, right? I mean, it could be like th this one where it's just, it doesn't go away, but there were some, it could be talking about rashes, or just things that showed up on the skin uh, that were contagious, right? So this is what these men are dealing with. And of course, they, they call out to Jesus. Now, clearly they've heard of Jesus, they know of his miracles, and Jesus shows up on the scene, it's beautiful. They say, have pity on us, have mercy on us, master, have mercy on us. That's always key, master recognizing Jesus' authority, his power, and their need for him. We'll talk about that a little later. But then something interesting here that, that caught my attention as I studied, Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And they went. Now what's interesting about this is Jesus doesn't say be healed, be cleansed, I have healed you, go. Because there are other cases actually where Jesus heals lepers and that's what he says, be healed. And they're healed right there and they go, right? And he says, go show yourself to the priest. But I, I want to talk about why this is important. Go show yourself to the priest, because I think this is something we might typically read past. And we jump to Jesus. They're healed, and it's great. It's wonderful. But, but there's something that just captured my attention, so I want to talk about that. I mentioned the acknowledge Jesus story. Okay, why does he say, go show yourselves to the priest? Well, in that time... Obviously, they follow the law of Moses. This is recorded in Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14. God gave the, uh, Moses regulations for how you were to deal with different ceremonial issues, um, bodily discharges, and, and this, of course, had to do with skin diseases. Okay? So, Jesus actually tells them to do something that was just very normal. See, go to the priest because the priest would have to examine you. So if you had some rash or skin disease, the, the priest would examine you to, and based on certain uh, identifying markers that God gave them, they could tell whether or not this is something that's getting better, if it's fading, going away, and that determined whether or not you were clean or unclean, right? 
Um, now, don't let this throw you off because this also had to do with hygiene. You know, we wanted to protect the rest of the community. These diseases could spread. So people had to be quarantined. So you would go to the priest so the priest would examine you and determine whether or not you can still be in the community or if you had to quarantine, right? So for Jesus to tell them to go to the priest was normal. This is probably something they did regularly because the priest would examine you and then give you a certain amount of time of quarantine. Okay, maybe it's seven days and then come back, re-examine you and re-examine you. So this is something they were used to. And then of course, if you were declared to be unclean, you had to quarantine. Here's this from Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease, get this, must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, unkept, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, of course, this was given to them when, you know, before the temple, and this is just the tabernacle, you know, the, the days of Moses, and they were journeying and whatnot. But this is what the community is still operating on. So get this scene of these men, not knowing how long they've been like this, how long they've had to quarantine. They've got tattered, torn clothing because according to the law of Moses, this is how they were to be identified, right? And to cover their face, part of their face. And everywhere they went, they had to say, unclean, unclean. Whenever they came in public, near people, they had to say, unclean, unclean. They regularly had to practice social distancing, right? They called out to Jesus standing at a distance. That's what the law commanded. And if we were to bring that into modern time, think about going in public and you've got to shout COVID positive. <laughs> COVID positive everywhere you go. That, that's just to give you a picture. That's the idea. You know, when you just had to go get tested and now you're positive and you got to shout this and you're going to go get tested again at some point. You got to quarantine a certain number of days. You get, you get the idea? This is, this is what they're dealing with. And I wonder how long had they been like this? How long had they gone back and forth to the priest to be examined and re-examined? And everywhere they went, they had to say unclean, unclean. And how many times did they go to the priest hoping for a different outcome? hoping that maybe what's on my body is changing, it's getting better, maybe I can come into the, 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 the community again. You, you, so they formed kind of their own community because they had to be away from their family and their friends, and you can imagine how that feels. I mean, you know how it is when you're sick, and you just need, you just need to be away from people. You get that feeling. You can imagine somebody in solitary confinement. What does that do to your mind socially? So this is why I don't want to skip over these details. I need you to understand what's happening here. 
And get this, he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, there in Galilee, now I'd have to talk with some scholars to see if, if you know, priests did uh, uh, certain duties in other regions. But, you know, as first reading, I'm like, well, the priests, wouldn't they be in Jerusalem? So I'm thinking these men would have to travel a bit, maybe a few days to get to the priests. So this was no short thing. I don't, I don't know how far they had to go. Like, once again, I have to ask some scholars to find out you know, if there were priests nearby that just did more civil things and like checking up on things like this. But, you know, first at a glance, I would think they would have to go to Jerusalem and they're in Galilee. So that would be a few days journey. But they go. This is normal. So how far did they have to travel? Jerusalem, some other area. And they all respond to Jesus' command. They all went. But I kind of wonder what they were thinking as they went. Are they thinking, hmm, is the priest going to say anything different than last time? I got checked out three months ago. Nothing's changed since then. But we're just going to go. So they went. And it says as they went, they were healed. But we don't know how long it took before they actually noticed. How far did they actually journey before they noticed? Mind you, they've got to shout unclean everywhere they go. They're doing the status quo, what they know to do. At no point, Jesus doesn't say be healed. So at no point, do they know or realize they've been healed? How long did it take before they realized? And it's as they went, they were cleansed. We don't know how long, but they're shouting unclean, unclean. Uh. Yo, hold up. Yo. How far did they travel? I don't know, but somewhere they're, yo, my, I'm good. Yo, check it out. I mean, how you doing? I'm good too. Woo! Woo! You need to get excited. But imagine this scene. It, I'll come back to this, but what is Jesus doing exactly? They all received the same miracle. Hmm? It kind of reminds me of Luke chapter 5. You might remember the story of Peter. You know, they've been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, bro, let me borrow your boat. So Jesus gets in the boat and then he teaches the people, right? And then after that, you know, Jesus is like, this brother's got to get paid. So he tells Peter, why don't you launch out in the deep? Peter's like, look, Lord, we've been, we've been fishing all night. And we didn't catch anything. No, he's an expert fisherman. That's what he did. So based on his understanding, I didn't catch anything. Based on their understanding, we've been to the priest before. But let's go. Scripture says that Peter launched his nets out at the word of Jesus. <laughs> 
and then they caught more fish than the boat could hold. Hmm. I, I just love, what is Jesus doing here? But this is where the story changes a little bit. This is where we're going. One comes back to thank Jesus. Out of 10, only one comes back. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but this is a point where Jesus seems to express disappointment. It says in verse, verses 17 and 18, We're not all 10 cleansed. Excuse me. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God except this foreigner? Now, when we read scripture, we don't have the benefit of tone, attitude, and whatnot. So there are times when I need to read from the TLW translation, all right? That's me, those are my initials. Now you see it up there, but I have to read it, you know, so you, you feel, this is my, my translation, right, of what Jesus said. Hold up. I know how to count. In fact, I invented numbers. Didn't I cleanse 10 of y'all? Where are the rest? Only one came back to give God props? And this brother ain't even from here. Right? It, 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 like, so you, you kind of, but, but Jesus is, is expressing some disappointment. Why is this important? Because Jesus is always after something else. See, this is why we don't want to skip over the details too quickly, right? We don't want to skip over the details too quickly because Jesus does everything for a reason. I even kind of wonder if Jesus, instead of just saying, be healed, you know, you are cleansed, he just says, go. And maybe he's like, I want to see something. Oh, I'm healing them all. Don't, no, no problem with that. But I want to see something. Now, I know I'm speculating. I know I am, so I need to be careful with that. But based on Jesus' response, he's expecting something more from these men. You see, Jesus does everything with intention. Every miracle is a pointer. We've been talking about check the source. Every miracle is a pointer to who he is. Jesus isn't just doing stuff to be kind and good. You know, I just want to be nice. I want to help heal the world. No. He's pointing to something deeper. I need you to see who I am, right? I need you to see I'm the one who came. Every miracle is a statement that the kingdom of God has come. Every miracle is a statement. There's a new king in town. Yeah. There's a new world order in town now. Every miracle is a declaration that Satan's kingdom is crumbling. We learned last week Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And I can even hear Jesus' emotion 
in that before he even raises Lazarus. See, Jesus wants you to get something. I need you to see who I am even before the miracle. There's something deeper than just the miracle here. You know, that hope that you have, that resurrection is going to come at the end, you know that resurrection you're looking for, I'm it. In history, right now, I'm the initiator of that. Martha, I need you to see that right now. The resurrection and the life is standing right in front of you. Don't miss this. Reminds me, just, just an example I think of, and I don't know how many of you are into C.S. Lewis, Narnia. I grew up watching the Chronicles of Narnia. Love it, right? Love the movies. Kids love it. But there's kind of this one theme, and if you notice, it's, 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 allegory, it's allegorical. I mean, it, it presents a lot of biblical themes. You know, he was a Christian. And so you see that all in, in, in the books, in the movies. But in the first one, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, so you had the, the, the white witch who was the evil um, queen, the false queen, but she, um, she held a tight grip over Narnia. And so it was always cold, it was always winter. You know, they would say it was always winter, never Christmas, right? Ice everywhere. But then it's this point where you start hearing that Aslan, the great lion, the true king, of Narnia is on the move. And what you start seeing throughout the movie as the characters go along is you're seeing images that show the queen's power is fading. She doesn't have the same grip that she used to have. Even her crown you see is getting smaller and smaller throughout the movie. I just love that example that just shows Satan's power is crumbling. Oh, he's still active. He's still very active. But, but Jesus shows on the scene to say, no, <laughs> his rule is coming to an end. There's a new kingdom. I am the resurrection and the life. But that's what Jesus is after. I need you to see something deeper. And we see this man, the Samaritan, who turns back to praise God. But sadly, not everyone chooses to believe in Jesus, get this, even while benefiting from a miracle. Yeah. Come on, bro. You have to ask, why didn't the others come back? Mind you, they were traveling together, these 10 men. They, at some point, they're all discovering they're healed. There's some kind of conversation, there's some dialogue happening about what has happened to them. And somewhere in there, this guy, this Samaritan, the one that we know, says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the source, right? Why didn't the others? I have the question, what was their view of Jesus? I don't know. Were they having theological debates? Were, were they wrestling with that? I mean, I'm assuming based on what Jesus says, this is a foreigner. Maybe most of them were Jews, possibly. We don't know. but. At least this guy we know was a Samaritan. Could they have been Jews? You, you know, what, what, what was it that kept them from returning? They still got the miracle. They still went on, went to the priest, and were eventually examined and welcomed back into society. But only one comes back. And so now we've got to ask, why does the Samaritan return? Does he have an understanding of Jesus, perhaps, that they didn't? 
Or maybe it's just more of his posture. A posture of praise. We just talked about I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Was that his posture? Maybe unlike the others. I don't know, speculating, but something drove him to come back. And once again, I don't know how far they traveled, so I don't know how far he had to come back to find Jesus. But he comes back nonetheless. This is key because we see miracles all around us. Pastor Nicole talked about this last week. The miracle of creation, the miracle of the fact that we are all breathing and living right now. We breathe. Reminded of Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where he talks about the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in what God has made. See, we've got this miracle of this healing, but there's a miracle all around us that we are living in right now. There are women in here, mothers, who are carrying miracles in their womb right now. Miracles. Human beings that God has created. We're seeing creation the trees, the flowers, all of these things operating every day, singing God's praises. But how quickly we can miss them. And you know people who are like benefiting from these miracles but don't acknowledge God. Like these men. Nine of them, they were all healed. But they didn't come back to acknowledge the source. I mean, I know I'm not going to put this person on blast, but goodness, I know people right now, (laughs) I'm like, they've had all kinds of ailments, sicknesses, all kinds of stuff, car accidents, whatever. They still ticking and still mean, still won't give God glory, still won't recognize the miracles that they've received. It's possible, but that's what Jesus is after. Not everybody who experienced it, because he healed all kinds of people, but not everybody's coming to acknowledge him. Look at that about his mercy and grace. The grace that he has on people who will curse him to his face every day. But they're still, (sighs) blaspheme his name, but still, but they're still, Yeah. How merciful you are. The Samaritan turns back to praise God. He returns to the source. I'm suggesting to us that this shouldn't just be something that we do because typically you can say gratitude. Look at this gratitude. So today, go out, be grateful. That's actually not what I want to tell you today. I mean, that's part of it. But our level of gratitude is always going to be based upon our understanding of Jesus and our view of Jesus. So when we talk about struggling with being grateful and posture of praise, I should ask, what's your view of Jesus? Come on. 
And what's your view of yourself in light of who he is? See, I think about the Samaritan who's recognizing, I don't deserve this. Jesus, you are high and lifted up. You are above me, and yet you show me. You didn't have to do this, but you did. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. I'm submitting to us that this should be not just something we do, but it should be the posture of our lives. This is the posture of your life every day. Not just wake up in the morning, just say thank you. I'm not calling us to positive thinking. No, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm calling us to see Jesus, the Lord, in our lives, high and lifted up. This is a posture that's bent toward praise and gratitude. It comes from recognizing who Jesus is, the depth of who he is, and get this, the depth of our need for him. See, if for you, if Jesus is just your co-pilot, that's going to impact your level of gratitude. Because when he does something I don't like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> if he's your co-pilot. If he's a genie that you pull out when you just want something, hmm, well, what happens when you don't get that something? That's going to impact your level of praise, isn't it? And I have to ask, is that your view of Jesus? I'm going to beat this like a dead horse because this is what we have to get. Is this your view? Is he just some average dude? I think Pastor, um, Pastor Nicole mentioned this last week. Just when God becomes too common to you, does Jesus just become ordinary to you, right? Ordinary. Because for some people, yeah, he's just a good prophet. He's got some good words to say. I get goosebumps when he talks. But that's about it. What's your view of Jesus? See, that view is going to determine whether we feel entitled or we, we lose that sense of entitlement, right? Because that's what it comes down to. See, if I believe that the sun rose because I got up this morning, well, there you go. But what if my posture is, Lord, everything that I have is because of you? Everything belongs to you. A posture that says, I don't own anything. <laughs> I look at your beautiful world. Wow, I'm amazed every day. Is that your posture when you get up in the morning? When you, oh, God, I thank you for another day. See, what you're doing is you're, you're that, that's praise. You're making, you're making much of God, the source. I see everything is in your hands. I control nothing. I'm entitled to nothing. I owe you everything. And this is an ongoing, this is an ongoing practice, people of God. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. That's why I call this a posture. This is how you approach life. Yeah. It's how you look at it. If you start that day every day, God, not just I got to go, I got so much to do, these people on the road better get out of my way. You can have that approach. But what if your posture is, 
Lord, I thank you I have a job to go to. You know, I love people who are intelligent, smart, but what if your posture, all this capacity that I have up here, my ability to do and remember and recite, that comes from you. You created this mind, this brain, these limbs that function. An ongoing posture. So I say, what is your posture? In good times, clearly this was a beautiful time, a healing. What about hard times? See, the posture isn't just when good things happen, but it's also when hard things happen. See, remember going back to John 11, Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say that to her after he raises Lazarus. He doesn't say that to her to believe that. See, I told you. I want you to get that when you're in the midst of death when you're staring at death, is your posture you're the resurrection and the life. You are the living word. You know, I reflect on my younger years and my parents, because when I was a kid, we dealt with various forms of poverty, right? There were, there were times as a kid I remember the refrigerator being bare. But what I remember most was the posture of my parents. See, get this, we dealt with poverty and both of my parents worked. Money was just tight. But I always remember even when that refrigerator was bare, they still lifted their hands. They lifted their hands with tears in their eyes. Lord, you are our provider. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. But that was their posture. It was a posture of worship. Lord, I give you everything in the good and in the bad. I reverence your presence. I thank you that you're thinking of me. I don't feel it in this situation, but I thank you. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living word. I am the savior. When you recognize Jesus as the savior. I don't know what gave this Samaritan the posture. Could his posture as a Samaritan and enduring hard times, feeling ostracized by Jewish community, that hatred, could, that have just, could he have just been in a posture that he was more ready to receive the gift of who Jesus is? We see that in Israel, it seemed to be that foreigners, people who were outside of Israel, ostracized from Israel, seemed to grasp Jesus quicker. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know, prostitutes and tax collectors, they'll enter the kingdom before you. Well, they're all broken people. It's just the difference is the Pharisees were not ready to see their brokenness and their need for Jesus. Prostitutes and tax collectors were. 
I want to read just, just a few passages just to, to iron this out, and then I'll, I'll definitely just want to wrap up. I want to go to Psalm 100. This is a posture of praise, a posture of worship. Shout to the Lord, shout, jo- shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations, the Psalms. What I love about the Psalms, especially when you see David's Psalms, even in times where he's like complaining, he's calling out to God, God, where are you? You seem silent. He always ends in praise. I will still declare your name. I will still worship you. You are still my rock. But in the beginning, he just said, well, Lord, my enemies surround me and you're silent. You don't, you seem far from me. In the end, I will still praise you. A posture of praise. This is the posture of your heart. I love this. I'm going to jump to James chapter 4. Posture of praise. Verses 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James is addressing those who are boasting about tomorrow. He's not saying we don't make plans, but folks who are arrogant, just living in pride. Say, Listen, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. This is a posture of praise because you're recognizing I don't own tomorrow. I couldn't have predicted a pandemic. And yet here we are. I don't own tomorrow. So it's giving praise to God. It's making much about God. You hold the future. I don't. You see clearly, I don't. It calls us to a place of dependence. Lord, I don't know what's happening, so I just kneel at your feet. That's why we can't get up tomorrow with pride. Why? Because I can't take my next breath without God allowing it. No, that's the posture. You're the creator. Jesus says, Jesus says it plainly, apart from me, you can do nothing. He meant what he said, people. Do we forget? We keep missing that. Jesus tells us plainly, you can't do anything apart from me. Yeah. Thank you, sir. You can't do anything apart from me. That's a posture of our heart. One more passage, because I talked about such as the good times, just the hard times. This is Habakkuk 3, so 16 through 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no fruit, no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's beautiful, right? But you need to know the time this is coming in the midst of. Israel was in the midst of judgment, divine judgment for their sin. God was bringing judgment because of their wickedness, them turning to other gods. And God says, I'm going to judge you. Prophet in this book is wrestling with God. In the beginning, he's struggling. God, how could you, how could this happen? How could you do this? How could you bring the Babylonians in? They're more wicked than us, but you're going to use them to judge us. And God responds. And there's this conversation back and forth. But in the end, this is his conclusion. When he's got to look at death of his people, Judah, being slaughtered by the sword because of their disobedience to God. But this is his posture toward God. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. There's a posture of praise, just like the Samaritan who came back. I'm urging us to keep coming back. Yes. Every time you get that breath, Lord, I thank you. I come back to the source. I remember who gave it. When I get that job, Lord, I thank you. When I lose that job, Lord, I thank you. I come back to you. When I'm facing death, you are still the resurrection and the life. That's a posture. And if you're struggling with gratefulness today, go back to the source. I need you to check your view of Jesus. Amen. Check your view of Jesus. Is he your co-pilot? Or is he the Lord before whom you bow? I can't determine that for you. But I think your, your, your level of greatness will show what you really believe. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for your word to us. Lord Jesus, we come back to you, our source. You are the creator, you are the giver of life, and we throw ourselves at your feet and we say, we couldn't earn what you did. We certainly don't deserve it, but you did it anyway. So we lift our hands and we say thank you, Lord. We say thank you for every gift that you give. We recognize the future is in your hands, not ours. And Lord, with that, I think with that posture, we will live more free. We will live with more joy knowing that you control our future. Bless your people now. May your word fall in good soil and produce good fruit.
Jesus' name, amen.